This is section seven of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section seven, Territorial Enterprise, May, June, 1863. Territorial Enterprise, May 19 through 21st, 1863. Letter from Mark Twain. San Francisco, May 16, 1863. Editors, Enterprise. The unreliable, since he has been here, has conducted himself in such a reckless and unprincipled manner that he has brought the whole territory into disrepute and made its name a reproach, and its visiting citizens objects of suspicion. He has been a perfect nightmare to the officers of the Occidental Hotel. They give him an excellent room, but, if in prowling about the house, he finds another that suits him better, he locates it. That is his slang way of expressing it. Judging by his appearance, what manner of man he was, the hotel clerk at first gave him a room immediately under the shingles, but it was found impossible to keep him there. He said he could not stand it, because spinning round and round up that spiral staircase caused his beer to ferment, and made him foam at the mouth like a soda fountain wherefore he descended at the dead of night and jumped a room on the second floor, the very language he used in boasting of the exploit. He said they'd served an injunction on him there, and, says he, if Bill Stewart had been down here, Mark, I'd have sued to quiet title, and I'd have held that ground, don't you know it? And he sighed, and after ruminating a moment, he added, in a tone of withering contempt, but these lawyers won't touch a case unless a man has some rights <laughs> they haven't any more strategy into them than a clam but bill stewart thunder now you just take that ofer suit that's coming off in virginia for instance why god bless you bill stewart'll worry the witnesses and bullyrag the judge and buy up the jury and pay for em and he'll prove things that never existed hell what won't he prove that's the idea what won't he prove you know why mark i'll tell you what he done when the unreliable was interrupted here by a messenger from the hotel office who handed him several sheets of legal cap very neatly folded he took them and motioned the young man to retire now said he confidentially do you know what that is sweetness i said i thought it was a wash bill or a hotel bill, or something of that kind. His countenance beamed with admiration. You've struck it by the Lord. Yes, sir, that's just what it is. It's another of them damned assessments. They levied one on me last week, and I meant to go and see a lawyer about it, but the unreliable simmered down into a profound reverie, and I waited in silence to see what species of villainy his fertile brain would bring forth. At last he started up exultingly, with a devilish light in his eye. "'I've got them in the door, Mark. They've been trying all they knew how to freeze me out, but they can't win. This hotel ain't incorporated under the laws of the territory, and they can't collect. They are only a lot of blasted tenants in common.' "'Oh, certainly,' with bitter scorn. "'They'll get rich playing me for a Chinaman, you know.' I forbear to describe how he reveled in the prospect of swindling the Occidental out of his hotel bill. It is too much humiliation even to think of it. 
this young man insisted upon taking me to a concert last night and i refused to go at first because i am naturally suspicious of him but he assured me that the bella union melodeon was such a chaste and high-toned establishment that he would not hesitate to take any lady there who would go with him this remark banished my fears of course and we proceeded to the house of amusement we were the first arrivals there he purchased two pit tickets for twenty-five cents apiece i demurred at this kind of hospitality and reminded him that orchestra seats were only fifty cents and private boxes two dollars and a half he bent on me a look of compassion and muttered to himself that some people have no more sense than a boiled carrot that some people's intellects were as dark as the inside of a cow he walked into the pit and then climbed over into the orchestra seats as coolly as if he had chartered the theatre i followed of course then he said now mark keep your eyes skinned on that doorkeeper and do as i do i did as he did and i am ashamed to say that he climbed a stanchion and took possession of a private box in due course several gentlemen performers came on the stage and with them half a dozen lovely and blooming damsels with the largest ankles you ever saw in fact they were dressed like so many parasols as it were their songs and jokes and conundrums were received with rapturous applause the unreliable said these things were all copyrighted it is probably true i never heard them anywhere else he was well pleased with the performance and every time one of the ladies sang he testified his approbation by knocking some of her teeth out with a bouquet the bella union i am told is supported entirely by washoe patronage there are forty-two single gentlemen here from washoe and twenty-six married ones they were all at the concert last night except two both unmarried but if the unreliable had not told me it was a moral high-toned establishment i would not have observed it hon william h davenport of virginia and miss molly spangler of cincinnati ohio were married here on the tenth instant at the residence of colonel john a collins among the invited guests were judge noyes and lady messrs beecher and france of virginia and mr mark twain among the uninvited i noticed only the unreliable it will probably never be known what became of the spoons the bridal party left yesterday for sacramento and may be expected in virginia shortly old fat jolly b c howard a lyon county commissioner is here at the russ house where he will linger a while and then depart for his old home in vermont to return again in the fall colonel raymond of the zephyr flat mill is in the city also and taking up a good deal of room in montgomery street and the bank exchange he has invested in some fast horses and i shall probably take them over to washoe shortly there are multitudes of people from the territory here at the three principal hotels consequently provisions are scarce if you will send a few more citizens down we can carry this election and fill all these city offices with carson and virginia men there is not much doing in stocks just now especially in the boards but i suspect it is the case here as it is in virginia that the boards do precious little of the business many private sales of union gold hill and yellow jacket have transpired here during the past week at much higher prices than you quote those stocks at 
three hundred feet of Golden Gate changed hands at one hundred dollars per foot, and fifty feet at a hundred and ten dollars. But a telegram from Virginia yesterday, announcing they had struck it, and moderately rich, in the San Francisco, raised both stocks several figures, as also the Golden Eagle, first south extension of the Golden Gate, which had been offered the day before at thirty dollars a foot. Two hundred feet of Oriental were sold at private sale today at seven dollars a foot. Now, you hear no talk in Virginia but the extraordinary dullness of the San Francisco market. Humbug! It may be dull in the boards, but it is lively enough on the street. If you doubt it, say so, and I will move around a little and furnish you with all the statistics you want. I meant to say something glowing and poetical about the weather, but the unreliable has come in and driven away refined emotion from my breast. He says, "'Say it's bully, you tallow-brained idiot. That's enough. Anybody can understand that. Don't write any of those infernal sick platitudes about sweet flowers and joyous butterflies and worms and things for people to read before breakfast. You make a fool of yourself that way. Everybody gets disgusted with you. Stuff! Be a man or a mouse, can't you?' I must go out now with this conceited ass. There is no other way to get rid of him. Mark Twain Territorial Enterprise, June 21st through 24th, 1863 Letter from Mark Twain All About Fashions San Francisco, June 19th Editors, Enterprise I have just received, per Wells Fargo, the following sweet-scented little note written in a microscopic hand in the center of a delicate sheet of paper, like a wedding invitation, or a funeral notice, and I feel it my duty to answer it. Virginia, June 16th. Mr. Mark Twain, do tell us something about the fashions. I am dying to know what the ladies of San Francisco are wearing. Do, now, tell us all you know about it, won't you? Pray excuse brevity for I am in such a hurry, Betty. P.S. Please burn this as soon as you have read it. Do tell us. <laughs> and she is in such a hurry. Well, I never knew a girl in my life who could write three consecutive sentences without italicizing a word. They can't do it, you know. Now, if I had a wife, and she—however, I don't think I shall have one this week, and it is hardly worth while to borrow trouble. Betty, my love, you do me proud. In thus requesting me to fix up the fashions for you in an intelligent manner, you pay a compliment to my critical and observant eye, and my varied and extensive information, which a mind less perfectly balanced than mine could scarcely contemplate without excess of vanity. Will I tell you something about the fashions? I will, Betty. You better bet you bet, Betsy, my darling. I learned those expressions from the unreliable. Like all the phrases which fall from his lips, they are frightfully vulgar, but then they sound rather musical than otherwise. A happy circumstance has put it in my power to furnish you the fashions from headquarters, as it were, Betty. I refer to the assemblage of fashion, elegance, and loveliness called together in the parlor of the Lick House last night, a party given by the proprietors on the occasion of my paying up that little balance due on my board bill. I will give a brief and lucid description of the dresses worn by several of the ladies of my acquaintance who were present. 
Mrs. B. was arrayed in a superb speckled foulard, with the stripes running fore and aft, and with collets and camails to match, also a rotonde of chantilly lace embroidered with blue and yellow dogs and birds and things done in cruel, and edged with a solferino fringe four inches deep. Lovely. Mrs. B. is tall and graceful and beautiful, and the general effect of her costume was to render her appearance extremely lively. Miss J. W. wore a charming robe polonais of scarlet ruche à with yellow fluted flounces of rich bombazine, fourteen inches wide, low neck and short sleeves. Also a figaro vest of bleached domestic, selvage edge turned down with a back stitch, and trimmed with festoons of blue chicory taffetas. Gay? I reckon not. Her headdress was the sweetest thing you ever saw. A bunch of stately ostrich plumes, red and white, springing like fountains above each ear, with a crown between, consisting of a single fleur de soleil, fresh from the garden. Ah, me! Miss W. looked enchantingly pretty. However, there was nothing unusual about that. I have seen her look so, even in a milder costume. Mrs. J. B. W. wore a heavy rat-colored brocade silk, studded with large silver stars, and trimmed with organdy, balloon sleeves of nanking peak, gathered at the wrist, cut bias and hollowed out some at the elbow, also a burnoose of black honiton lace scalloped and embroidered in violet colors with a battle-piece representing the taking of Holland by the Dutch, low neck and high-heeled shoes, gloves, palm-leaf fan, hoops. Her headdress consisted of a simple maroon-colored sontag, with festoons of blue illusion depending from it. Upon her bosom reposed a gorgeous bouquet of real sagebrush, imported from Washoe. Mrs. W. looked regally handsome. If every article of dress worn by her on this occasion had been multiplied seven times, I do not believe it would have improved her appearance any. Miss C. wore an elegant cheveux de la reine, with ruffles and furbelows trimmed with bands of guipre round the bottom, and a mohair garibaldi shirt. Her unique headdress was crowned with a graceful pomme de terre, limerick French, and she had had her hair done up in papers, greenbacks. The effect was very rich, partly owing to the market value of the material, and partly to the general loveliness of the lady herself. Miss A. H. wore a splendid Lucia de Lamermoor trimmed with green bays, also a cream-colored mantilla, shaped par-dessus, with a deep gore in the neck, and embellished with a wide grec of taffeta's ribbon, and otherwise garnished with ruches and radishes and things. Her coiffure was a simple wreath of sardines on a string. She was lovely to a fault. Now, what do you think of that effort, Betty? I wish I knew her other name. For an unsanctified newspaper reporter, devoid of a milliner's education, doesn't it strike you that there are more brains and fewer oysters in my head than a casual acquaintance with me would lead one to suppose? Ah, well, what I don't know, Bet, is hardly worth the finding out, I can tell you. I could have described the dresses of all the ladies in that party, but I was afraid to meddle with those of strangers, because I might unwittingly get something wrong and give offense. You see, strangers never exercise any charity in matters of this kind. 
they always get mad at the least inaccuracies of description concerning their apparel, and make themselves disagreeable. But if you will just rig yourself up according to the models I have furnished you, Bets, you'll do, you know. You can weather the circus. You will naturally wish to be informed as to the most fashionable style of male attire, and I may as well give you an idea of my own personal appearance at the party. I wore one of Mr. Lawler's shirts, and Mr. Ridgway's vest, and Dr. Wayman's coat, and Mr. Camp's hat, and Mr. Paxton's boots, and Jerry Long's white kids, and Judge Gilchrist's cravat, and the Unreliable's brass seal-ring, and Mr. Tollroad MacDonald's pantaloons, and if you have an idea that they are anyways short in the legs, do you just climb into them once, sweetness? The balance of my outfit I gathered up indiscriminately from various individuals whose names I have forgotten, and have now no means of ascertaining, as I thoughtlessly erased the marks from the different garments this morning. But I looked salubrious, B., if ever a man did. End of section 7